You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I was early to Tennessee. I was talking about Tennessee at the top of the Lovecast for weeks before anyone else was talking about Tennessee at the top of their shows. But I am late, oh so very late, to Bud Light. In case you somehow missed it, Bud Light, which is a beer, almost, is owned by Anheuser-Busch, a multinational corporation that owns more than 600 different brands of beer, sold in more than 150 countries. And as of last month, Anheuser-Busch was worth more than $128 billion, which makes Anheuser-Busch the 96th most valuable company in the world by market cap, although recently their stock did take a bit of a dip, dropped a few percentage points before bouncing right back. These are all things I didn't need to know about Anheuser-Busch a week ago. I'm not a beer drinker. I haven't really given much thought to Anheuser-Busch since I worked at Busch Gardens, a theme park in Virginia back in college. But these are all things I know now. And I know them now because Bud Light recently sent a couple of cases of beer to TikTok star and social media influencer Dylan Mulvaney, who is a trans woman who came out as trans a year ago and has amassed a huge number of followers with her Days of Womanhood or Days of Girlhood series of videos. To celebrate her first transversary, which is what my trans friends used to call it, not sure if that's what trans folks are calling it now, but to celebrate Dylan's first transversary, Bud Light put Mulvaney's face on a few cans of beer, sent a case or two to Dylan along with, I'm gonna guess, a check, which is fine. We have sponsors, I read ads, we get checks. Anyway, Bud Light got what it wanted. Dylan made a video drinking a can of Bud Light with her face on it, shared that video with her 10 million followers. The theory being that people who love Dylan might be inclined the next time they go out to order a Bud Light instead of a beer after seeing Dylan drinking one with her face on it. Now, Usually Bud Light advertises during big annual sporting events like the Super Bowl. And as it turned out, Dylan's transversary fell at the same time as a big annual sports event, which created an opportunity for a little trans promotion, or sorry, a little cross promotion. Hi, impressive carrying skills, right? I got some Bud Lights for us. So I kept hearing about this thing called March Madness, and I thought we were all just having a hectic month, but it turns out it has something to do with sports. And I'm not sure exactly which sport, but either way, it's a cause to celebrate. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Check out my Instagram story to see how you can enjoy March Madness with Bud Light and maybe win some money, too. Okay, so Mulvaney is not everyone's cup of HRT. And being a famous trans woman in the United States, circa 2023, she, of course, has haters, lots of haters. And those haters, the kinds of people who hate Dylan Mulvaney and other trans women, they didn't like seeing a big, iconic beer brand associating itself with a trans influencer at a time when they're working so hard to make trans women and drag queens radioactive which is how Dylan became the latest front, the latest target in the rights culture war against LGBT people. Threats to boycott Bud Light, 
poured in. And some of the results of those threats to boycott were pretty sad. Kind of like when conservatives announced that they were going to boycott Coke by switching to other beverages made by the Coca-Cola Corporation. Same thing happened here. Conservatives announced they were going to stop drinking Bud Light and switch to other beers instead. Beers like Stella or Hogarden or Red Hook or Michelob, all of which are owned by Anheuser-Busch, which owns Bud Light. And if they were thinking about switching to cocktails, well, cocktails are pretty gay. And Anheuser-Busch recently started buying up companies that make spirits, vodka, gin, bourbon. So if the vodka or gin a hater prefers isn't already owned by Anheuser-Busch, it will be soon. So, like conservative boycotts of Starbucks and Disney and Nike and Target and Whole Foods and even NASCAR, this one was never going to work. In fact, it already failed. Like I said, Anheuser-Busch stock dropped for a day. The right claimed victory when the stock rebounded the next day, indicating that the drop was most likely a market fluctuation that had nothing to do with Dylan Mulvaney's face appearing on a can of Bud Light. Crickets. But as ineffective as these boycott threats from the right might have been, there was a menace embedded in the reaction from the right that while it may not threaten Anheuser-Busch's market cap, should be a concern to all LGBT people everywhere. Take, for instance, Kid Rock's reaction, which he posted as a video on the internet. I'm going to spare you most of it. Here's what he said at the end. Fuck Bud Light and fuck Anheuser-Busch. Have a terrific day. Before he said that, Kid Rock, who just a few years ago was photographed drinking a Bud Light with a drag queen, that same Kid Rock in this video is shooting up cases of Bud Light with an automatic weapon. First, I gotta say, the people who've complained about beer companies doing things like this, the people who've been complaining about rainbow capitalism loudest and longest, are LGBT people. Now, some of us are old enough to remember when gay people complained endlessly about beer companies taking our money and refusing to sponsor Pride. And some of us have now lived long enough to hear multiple generations of younger LGBTQIA plus people complaining bitterly about corporations, beer companies included, beer companies especially slapping rainbows all over themselves and sponsoring Pride so hard that Pride can barely walk the next day. Now, before I go on, I, I want to point out, after this backlash, Bud Light shit all over Dylan Mulvaney, as if this viral marketing campaign was somehow her idea, which I assure you it wasn't. TikTok influencers like Dylan Mulvaney, they don't cold call multinational corporations like Anheuser-Busch to see if they might be interested in doing a little collab. Bud Light called her. And as Max Dubler pointed out on Twitter, Bud Light has been crawling into bed with the queers for a long-ass time. Bud Light, as Dubler pointed out on Twitter, has been the default cheap beer of choice at gay bars since 1977 when labor unions and gay organizations came together to boycott Coors, which was anti-organized labor and anti-gay. Dubler again here, Harvey Milk himself brokered the deal between the Teamsters and gay bar owners. Coors market share went from 40% to under 14%. All right, quickly, to any haters who might be listening, switching to Coors, also not an option, as Coors has been a sponsor of Pride for decades now. It's almost as if alcohol companies know who's likelier to drink alcohol. Gays in their bars or haters up on their soapboxes? Yeah, gays in their bars. 
The Republican National Campaign Committee tried to get in on the boycott fund. They were marketing beer cozies that attacked Bud Light. But as the Daily Beast reported, the attack was quickly deleted a day later and memory hold after someone at the National Republican Congressional Committee realized or remembered or was reminded that Anheuser-Busch is one of their largest donors. In the 2022 cycle alone, writes the Daily Beast, Anheuser-Busch and its employees gave the NRCC $464,505. This is, of course, part of what makes rainbow capitalism so crazy-making. There's all this pride branding by multi-billion dollar international corporations like Anheuser-Busch. They want our money, so they sponsor a pride parade here. They slap Dylan Mulvaney's face on a can there in the hopes that when we pour beer down our throats, we'll pour their beer down our throats. And then they turn around and send money, way more money, including some of our money, to politicians who would like to kick our teeth down our throats. So as laughably unsuccessful as the boycott of Bud Light, of Anheuser-Busch, already is, and as homeless as cheap beer drinkers are going to be, I promise you every brand of cheap beer you can name has sponsored Pride or is owned by a company whose other brands have sponsored Pride. This call for a boycott and this backlash against Bud Light, it's hitting differently now than the Nike or Coke or Disney threats of boycotts and backlash. It feels different. It feels worse. It feels more ominous. Because it lands at a time when Republican elected officials in Florida are calling for the eradication of LGBT people. It lands at a time when the spokeswoman for the governor of Florida is celebrating the fact that gay families in Florida are fleeing the state. It comes at a time when queer books are being banned and universities are being purged. It comes at a time when multiple states have passed laws banning drag it comes at a time when 14 states already have banned gender-affirming care for minors, and the governor of Missouri just signed a bill into law banning gender-affirming care for adults, a law that's going to force trans adults living in Missouri to flee that state. I say this advisedly with some hesitation, but from where queers are sitting, things are definitely looking vaguely Nuremberg-ish around here. Nuremberg-esque. Call it Berg Light. With so much hate and so many guns out there, I would warn you where this was headed, but we've already had a mass shooting at a drag club. It was two or 300 mass shootings ago, I realize, so not top of mind anymore. So it's not accurate to say we're headed toward the kind of violence Kid Rock's response to Bud Light hints at. We've already arrived at that kind of violence. What all the anti-LGBT legislation and these threats don't really translate to is more votes or majority support. A poll of 1,200 likely voters conducted by Data for Progress found that 69%, 81% of Dems, 54% of Republicans thought trans adults should be able to, quote, change their bodies however they want because free society should allow people to make their own choices. And 57% agreed with the statement that transgender identities are a natural phenomenon that has occurred throughout history, and it's normal for free societies to have individuals who identify outside the norms. But the question here is, how much longer are we going to be a free society? That's the issue now. Because if the Republican Party, as currently constituted, is dedicated to anything, 
It's dedicated to establishing minority rule in this country. From abortion rights to gun control to gay marriage to trans rights, it doesn't matter if their position is unpopular with the majority of Americans. If they can finish seizing power, if they can destroy democracy in America, which is their all but stated goal, it won't matter what the majority of people think should be allowed in a free society because we won't be living in one of those anymore. So long as their positions are popular with the unhinged minority, the GOP base, which is older, whiter, more religious, and more conservative than the general public, once they've successfully disenfranchised younger voters, black voters, voters of color, less religious voters, less conservative voters, their policies and their hatreds only have to play in GOP primaries, not general elections. General elections, they're prepared to ignore the results of or cancel. And once they've managed to do that, they can dictate, literally and figuratively. All right, coming up on the micro, your cues, my A's, and lots of them. And joining me on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love, comedian Zach Zimmerman. He's here to talk about his new book, Is It Hot In Here? And he's here to try his hand or his mouth at giving a little sex advice. We talk about threesomes and why he's had so few of them as a gay man. We talk about sleeping with your landlord and outing dead relatives. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan. I'm 43, a cis woman, and I always felt drawn to sex work. In retrospect, I was a dominatrix way before I knew it. As a teenager, I was very sexually in control. I was pegging my first husband before I even turned 21. And I've always just had a way of taking charge over men. I became a stripper in my mid-20s, and I did that for seven years, but it got pretty toxic, so I quit that. For a while, I worked as a dom at a lovely little dungeon, and that was the happiest and most fulfilled I have ever been at work. I loved being a pro dom, but the dungeon got shut down, and I didn't know how to pursue it after that, so I dropped it. I did other stuff, got married, I'm now a mom with two little kids, and I got through the pandemic, and now my kids are in public school, and I actually have some time, and I forget what inspired me to go for it, but about six weeks ago, I created a Twitter profile and a cash app and started putting content on clip sites and also doing phone domination. I've had two Skype sessions that went very well, and I think I'm off to an okay start at being a pro dominatrix again. I do have a couple of guys here in my city who want to do in-person sessions, and I have no idea how to make that work because there's not a dungeon here. I guess we could rent a hotel room? Is that how it's typically done? Or is there another solution I don't know about? I don't want to go to anyone else's house, and I'm for damn sure not bringing random subs into my house where my kids live. Also, holy shit, fetish gear has gotten expensive. I know I should be getting subs to buy all this stuff for me, but it's really hard to stand out from the army of young, hot financial doms on Twitter, especially when I am clearly middle-aged. I look good and I take care of myself, but I mean, I don't look 20 anymore. I think I'm set up to be a better nom now than I was at 27. I have a lot more confidence and a lot more life experience with men and psychology, but nobody can see that when they're just scrolling through findoms on Twitter. How can I, as an older dominatrix just starting over, make myself stand out? Also, I've been approached by a local sub who can't afford sessions, but who agreed to appear in content videos with me. Who should pay for the hotel room we shoot in if that happens? I really want to focus on financial domination, but I have a whole lot of other kinks I'm really enjoying exploring in this way. My husband is vanilla, but we've done ethical non-monogamy from the very beginning, and he loves that I'm having this kind of awakening or whatever the hell is going on. I do worry that all of this is a weird midlife crisis, and in another year, I'm going to be embarrassed at having all these videos out there on clip sites. But on the other hand, I do really need to make some money, and I'm having fun at this for now. 
Is the whole thing stupid? Am I too old to be getting into this? And if not, does anyone have advice for someone starting out at middle age? I guess I woke up on the socially conservative side of my bed this morning. My bed is a pentagon. There's a lot of different sides of it. Sometimes I fall out of that side of the bed. You have little kids. You have to weigh, you know, what your kids might see on the internet or what their friends might find on the internet. They're little kids. So not now, but you know, in a decade when they're in middle school or high school, if you are still doing pro-dom work or if you've created a large body of clips that you've shared online, content that you've created with subs, how are you going to handle that with your kids? How are you going to talk to your kids about that game that, again, worst case scenario, out and really think it through? Now, I'm going to answer the questions you actually asked. Who should pay for that hotel room? There's this local sub that you'd like to get together with who can't afford to book a pro-dom session, but you're going to create content with that person. Well, since you're creating content with that person, that's what they're paying. That's their payment. They're going to appear in your clips that you will monetize on the internet and use to get other clients. Seems to me in that circumstance with a sub who's already let you know that they can't, they don't have any money, you should pay for the hotel room. With other subs who want to book a session with you, of course, they should pay for the hotel room. And fetish gear is great and you can start doing, you know, bindom, pro-dommy work online and order your subs who will only be too happy to do it to buy you fetish gear and bondage gear as you, you know, expand your big fat rolling suitcase that you'll roll into hotel rooms that your subs who are booking sessions with you will have to pay for over time. But you don't need any of that gear really to do professional domination. As you can see people all over the internet proving every day now, there is that kind of geared up pro-dom aesthetic and that geared up pro-dom career, really, the geared up pro-dom dungeons. And that is what some people are looking for. But all over the internet, you can see people doing fin-dom who are doing domination uh, sessions or just creating content where it's about attitude and it's not about gear necessarily. And when it comes to domination, really attitude is the more valuable commodity to have that dominant personality to have to really get off on like you said being in charge of a man you can take somebody who doesn't have a feel for professional domination and put them in the most elaborate dungeon and the most elaborate fetish gear and it's not going to work it's you're not going to have the the vibe that someone who's seeking time with a professional dominant is after if you have that you have 80% of what you need to be a success at pro-dom work. And if you have your husband's support and you can game out a situation where you're having to talk to your kids about what mom's career was or is, and that's a conversation that you're comfortable having and you don't think it will burn down your children's lives potentially 10 or 15 years from now, go for it. You have my blessing. And there are pro-doms all over the internet right now that you should look to perhaps as role models who prove that you can do the pro-domination without the gear. Hi, Dan. Cis lesbian 30-something here, married to my wife for several years and together for much longer. Over the past year, we have had several arguments surrounding differences and priorities as we grow together. 
We got together pretty young and have been through several core phases of life. Recently, we had an argument surrounding partaking in religious rituals. For reference, I am atheist. My wife was raised Catholic in a conservative town, but doesn't identify as such. She has confirmed to me over the entirety of our relationship she is not Catholic or religious and doesn't believe in a Christian God or the Jesus narrative. She has also claimed atheism, albeit somewhat reluctantly. In the country we live in, you have to register your religion on paper. She has never deregistered as a Catholic in order to keep from upsetting her family. I don't agree with this since as a registered Catholic, you have to pay church tax. Recently, we attended a funeral for her family member. She took part fully in the Catholic Mass, prayer, song, communion, doing the Holy Trinity symbol. I didn't want to raise the issue harshly due to the nature of the event, but we have had arguments since then about why it's inappropriate to partake in Catholic rituals like communion when you do not identify with the religion and are queer yourself. If she was outwardly Catholic, I could understand, but it's not the case. She sees the church as a more spiritual place for calm and reflection. She refuses to give up the rituals, saying they make her feel part of the community. She also herself mentioned the negative optics to those around her if she had refrained. She refuses to give up those rituals, even though she refuses others like touching the holy water basin because it's, quote, disgusting. I believe rituals like communion are clearly defined by the church as a signal that you believe and subscribe to their teachings. It's not passive like prayer where you can listen and interpret for yourself. These are active showings you agree. I don't agree with my wife that she herself can redefine something like communion so that it whitewashes the hatred of the Catholic Church. I compare this to Southerners in the U.S. claiming that the Confederate flag is only about Southern pride in their community and not racism. How should I deal with this? I think there is an overarching issue of conflict avoidance, something my wife and her family know well about. It is upsetting to me that someone I love so dearly and is queer themselves can be so lacking of self-criticism and apathetic to hypocrisy. Should I just turn a blind eye to all of this? Is it that big of a deal? How do I make my wife see that taking part in these Catholic rituals is actually subscribing to the religion and harmful as a non-Catholic queer person? I am your wife. My mother was dying in the hospital. I ran and got her a priest. The priest performed last rites. I said the prayers with my mother as she lay dying because it meant something to her. I had my son baptized because my family was so great about the gay stuff. My family was so loving and supportive and embraced me and my boyfriends and then my husband and then our kid that it was not a lot for us to give Not a lot for us to do to be good about stuff that meant something to them, that was important to them. It was important to my mother, the Catholic, that her grandson be baptized. So we went home and got our kid baptized. So I I may be the wrong person to answer this question because I am a thousand percent on your wife's side here. If going through the motions, not believing one goddamn thing about it, but the rituals makes her feel calm, centered, connected in the same way that going through those, I don't go to mass. I don't go to church. I sometimes slip into churches and I will sit in quiet contemplation in a church. And if I am at a mass, at a funeral, at a wedding with my family, I don't sit there on my ass very performatively when everybody else is standing or kneeling just to be a dick. I jump up, I jump down, I kneel, I say the prayers 
that I learned to say when I was a kid with everybody else, not to feel connected to an imaginary sky friend that I do not believe in, but to feel connected to my family, some of whom believe, some of whom don't, just like me, and to feel connected to the generations of my family. I identify culturally as a Catholic. I have lots of Jewish friends who eat bacon and don't think there's a Messiah coming and don't believe in God, who get together for Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur. What are they doing? They are affirming their cultural identity as Jews. They are feeling connected to the generations of their families that performed these same rituals. And it's that performance of them and that connection, that's not a false idol. That's not to believe in some harmful bullshit. That's to believe in a kind of generational connection that it's really hard sometimes to feel or connect to in any other way. Saying the Our Father with my mother as my mother was dying, my mother and I, I was there, we said that same prayer with her father. Her father said that same prayer with his father. And it was just a way of feeling grounded. Look, if you have to be registered as a Catholic where you live and you pay taxes to the Catholic Church, I can understand deregistering. I could also understand if it's important to your wife to maintain this connection with her family who didn't bar you at the church door when you showed up for the fucking funeral where you watched your wife go through the Catholic motions, they obviously accept you. If it's important to her family for her to be still registered as a Catholic until they're all fucking dead and then she can deregister and stop paying the tax, don't create conflict in your marriage and in your wife's family needlessly. Don't create conflict because you just want to be a pedantic, persecuting bitch about it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm with you. I don't believe in any of this shit. I think religion is terrible. I agree with Christopher Hitchens. God ruins everything. I agree. But I can also recognize that there is meaning in ritual and that sometimes... When we stare into the howling existential void, we have nothing else but some bullshit prayers somebody else made up millennia ago, centuries ago, because we don't have an answer, because we don't know. And that there is some comfort in going through those motions. Why would you deny your wife that comfort? And why would you, having been accepted and embraced by her family, want to drive a wedge into that family between your wife and them by making your wife feel self-conscious or as if she's betraying you when she goes through those motions for her own comfort or for her family's comfort. Let her have it. Step around it. Look, I, I, I feel you. I, I, I get it. I was where you are now when I was 22. I sat there on my butt at church. I wouldn't take communion. I was a dick. I got over it. And, you know, I really do thank my Jewish friends that I got to know in my mid-20s for helping me get over it, for modeling for me, embracing your cultural identity as a Jew, which allowed me to embrace my cultural identity as a Catholic and pull the stick out of my ass and not make my mother's last moments about me 
performing for her one last time that I reject Catholicism and all of its works, but by embracing what was meaningful to her and it was meaningful to me in that moment because it was meaningful to her. It was something that I could do for her. I didn't have to write a check to the Catholic Church. That would annoy me every goddamn day. Maybe your wife could, in penance, which is a very Catholic thing, write a check to some organization that you approve of in the same amount as whatever it is that she's paying to the church and church tax every year. But you've got to grow up like I had to grow up. Grow up about this. Let your wife have what she needs, what works for her. And you can think what you think about it. And if she asks you what you think about it, you can share that with her. But you have to stop pounding her about this. Her family beat the Catholicism into her. Okay. My family beat the Catholicism into me. You are not there to beat the Catholicism out of her. You want proof? I think Helix mattresses are the best mattresses. I just bought another one. That means there's now a Helix mattress in every bedroom in our house. Because when you're poly, you may not get to sleep with your favorite person every night, but you can sleep on your favorite mattress every night. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix Sleep lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you, your body, and your polycule? Take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress or mattresses in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge. We got another Midnight Lux model because we wanted medium firmness. We tend to thrash around a little bit at night and these mattresses, such an improvement over our old mattresses. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100 night sleep trial. You can try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts. And if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made and come with a 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And remember, you get a 100-night sleep trial. If you don't love it, and I know you will, but if you don't, they will pick it up for you and give you a full refund. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. I got my free pillows with my new mattress. Go and get yours. Go to helixsleep.com slash Savage for 20% off your new mattress, your two free pillows. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long with Helix. Better sleep, whichever bedroom you're sleeping in tonight, starts now. Hey, Dan, I have a question about building a long-term poly relationship with my wife. We've been together for seven years now. We have a fantastic sex life. We communicate well, and we are compatible in the day-to-day of raising our kids. We are newly exploring poly. She has had a couple of one-offs, no sex, and is developing an emotional and potentially physical relationship with somebody across the country. In fact, she is there now for her first solo time. There'll be a lot of intimacy, but no sex yet. While we've had some bumps getting here, I am very supportive of her. We both would say that the hard work of getting a relationship ready to open has made us stronger and much closer as a couple. One last piece of context. 
I was the one who brought up ENM when we first got together. I was not successful at monogamy in many of my past relationships. She was open to the idea because she views this as building community that might have some intimacy. Now that we are ankle deep in poly, I am finding that I have zero interest in dating. I am fortunate to be very happy with, in my relationship with my wife, and the rest of my life is appropriately challenging and enriching. In other words, there is nothing I want to give less time to. And, more importantly, I don't want to take emotional and physical energy away from what I have with my wife. I still have crazy NRE for her. Here's my question. Is it a problem that we are out of sync and getting even more so? I'm feeling pressure from our therapist and our online community to date. The message is that this will cause long-term problems. My wife is supportive of my choices, but if I press her, she's worried as well. She wants our relationship to stay strong for years to come. When I look in the mirror, I don't see a slowly budding Polly. I see someone who is, for once in their life, happily mono. How do we navigate this? Do I need to take one for the team and date? I don't want to ask my wife to stop dating. Is the solution that we just make sure that we have good communication? What are the possible pitfalls? The only possible pitfall I see here is your wife gradually becoming accustomed to a kind of one-sided open relationship where she has other sex partners that she has intimate connections with that she's, you know, off seeing one right now. She's promised you, I guess, I'm inferring that this isn't going to be a trip where they have sex, where they consummate this relationship, but that's on the near horizon. And if your wife, and you're not interested in dating or fucking anybody else, and I don't know if this went on for years like this, where your wife had other partners, where your wife had other relationships, concurrent, committed, intimate, sexual, romantic relationships uh, with you and other men, and you just had her and wanted no one else, and then eventually you changed your mind and you did want someone else, would your wife, after having grown accustomed to this one-sided open relationship, object to you wanting to see somebody else now. I think the chances of that happening are really low. And so you shouldn't worry about it. That's literally besides the normal pitfalls of all relationships, open or closed, poly or DADT or whatever. There's always potential pitfalls in all relationships, but I don't see any pitfalls specific to this circumstance where you guys are both doing what feels right for you as individuals while you're in this relationship with each other. You shouldn't have to go out and ring that bell, go find somebody else to fuck just because she's out ringing that bell. I think your therapist is wrong to pressure you to go date someone else now just because your wife is. And I think your online community is doing that thing that Sometimes people who are actually in open or poly relationships do, but certainly a lot of people outside open and poly relationships sometimes do. And when we're talking about an online community, I sometimes wonder when you get into one of those poly online communities, how many people in there are LARPing or cosplaying poly as opposed to having any real world lived experience with poly. Sometimes people project their own shit onto people who are doing poly a little differently than they're doing it. Sometimes people say, I wouldn't be happy if my wife was getting it from someone else and I wasn't at the same time getting it and as much of it from someone else as she's getting it and as much of it from someone else. But that's not your shit. It's not your problem. What works for you as individuals 
what works for you as a couple. If what works for you right now is your wife is pursuing another relationship and you feel no need at the moment to, I don't know, trawl the apps or get out there and beat the bushes seeking another sex partner or romantic partner for yourself, all right, you don't have to. You're both happy. That's what matters. And other people's ideas of what's fair or equitable, they don't create obligations for you or for your wife. What works, works. This is what's working now. If you leave the house tomorrow and you run into somebody and there's that spark and you want to see them, you can. You're not under any obligation to get out there and force that or, or seek that out if it's not what you want right now. Is that you being mono? Well, perhaps you're behaving monogamously at the moment. You're not having sex with anybody but your wife. You are in a polyamorous relationship. If your wife is seeking relationships, romantic and sexual with other people, even if you're quote unquote being faithful right now, or your wife is your one and only sexual partner right now, I should say. But does that mean you've suddenly turned that you, you know, got bit by a monogamous vampire and now you're monogamous after all those years where you cheated? I, I don't think so. I think you don't want anybody else right now. You don't have to have anybody else right now. Contra your therapist and your online community. I do think it is interesting and maybe something to talk about with a different therapist, a better therapist, that when you made monogamous commitments, you cheated. Now that you have a non-monogamous commitment, there's less desire or urgency to go have sex with somebody else. That could mean something or that could mean nothing. It could be that when you made monogamous commitments, you had to assert your individuality or your zone of erotic autonomy, or you'd made a monogamous commitment to the wrong person and you had to transgress. And now that that transgression, if that's what it was for you, is allowed, it's less alluring and you feel less urgency to act on it you're still allowed to act on it if you should ever feel the urge. And I can't imagine your wife is going to have a problem with that if and when that moment comes. But if she does have a problem with it, if this is the pitfall that you wind up falling into and I was wrong, well, definitely give me a call and we will talk about it further. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Please don't tell me you're using Facebook as your website. I don't want to hear that from you, baby. If you're putting yourself out there, you just got to have your own website. And if you use Squarespace to set it up, it'll look great and you'll be loaded up with some serious bells and whistles. For instance, you can create pro-level videos easily. The Squarespace Video Studio app helps you make and share engaging videos to sell your story, grow your audience, and drive sales if you're trying to make a buck. You can display posts from your social profiles on your website, automatically push website content to your favorite social media channel so your followers can share it too. Squarespace is super handy with email campaigns and analytics too. It's like having a tech-savvy business partner, but with zero drama. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. I am a 30-year-old female calling from the Midwest. I have been with my husband for 11 years now. 
And recently, a couple months ago, I we started an OnlyFans, and we have been having the best sex of our lives, having a good time, shooting content, and it's been a lot of fun. So we have a couple friends who have also done the same thing. They just started their OnlyFans as well, and we are super close with them. Like, we've went on vacation together before, and they come over for game nights often. So we've kind of joked about slash talked about potentially collabing and I am a little terrified as I've never experimented with other females and I'm a little nervous about that. I've always been curious, but I've just never been able to pull the trigger and actually do it. I've had a couple opportunities, but I got too scared and didn't do it. My husband is very open to us collabing. I mean, it was really his idea. He's like, yeah, you guys should collab. That'd be awesome. But I'm I'm a little bit more timid and nervous. And because we are such good friends, I'm just worried that, you know, my first girl-on-girl, you know, experimentation is with someone who is such a good friend. And I don't want it to get awkward because we've been such good friends for a few years now and we also work together so we see each other often so what happens if we try it and it's just totally awkward that's I'm just I might be just too much in my head about it but I think it would be fun at the same time I just don't know what to do when I was a kid there were a lot of stories in the papers you know with the collapse of United States manufacturing base as we stopped making cars and we started importing more cars from Japan. That's how long ago this was, uh, that there were fears that we would turn into a nation of people who were flipping burgers and serving burgers and ordering burgers from each other. And how did it turn out? Well, we're not a nation of burger flippers. Not that there's anything wrong with flipping burgers. I have flipped burgers in my time. We are a nation of only fans, pornographers. We are all porn stars now. We're not flipping burgers for each other. We're doing collabs with each other. What is going to happen when we reach peak? Everybody's got an OnlyFans. If everyone's making porn, who's going to buy that porn? Everybody can't be a burger flipper. Somebody's got to be a burger eater. That's what I started to think about as I listened to your call. What do you do? Well, I think you do the collab with your friends. You're worried it's going to be awkward, potentially awkward. If you do this collab, sex sometimes between friends, particularly when friends are also coworkers. Yeah, that can, you know, awkwardness, introducing sexual awkwardness. If it doesn't go well or you don't want to continue to do it and they do, that can have a downside. But you've backed yourself into a corner now where it's going to be awkward if you don't do this. So there's going to be awkwardness whether you do it or whether you don't. And it seems to me, given the choice between awkwardness do, awkwardness don't, where the do means getting laid and maybe having some content to share on OnlyFans and having some fun. And the don't means not having that content to share and not having that sexual fun. I would personally go with awkward do. Do the collab, make the porn with your friends. As ever, my advice when you fear awkwardness is to put that on the table. Say, hey, we are down to do this. It will be fun. We want it to be fun. Let's talk about, you know, if we're doing it and you guys don't feel it, you have to be able to say you're not feeling it. We can call it off. We should be able to say the same thing. Each of us as an individual should be able to say that to the other three. And let's promise now that if there's some awkwardness, 
We're not going to let it destroy our friendship or our working relationship. We're going to power through it. We're going to be grownups and we're going to remember why we all liked each other well enough to want to do a collab together in the first place and prioritize the friendship and the relationship over the porn we wanted to collab on together. That doesn't guarantee that if things are awkward, the awkwardness might not be so enormous that the relationships are negatively impacted. But it makes it a lot less likely if things are awkward that the relationships will be permanently, irrevocably damaged somehow. Hi, Dan. I'm a 35-year-old straight cis male from Scandinavia, and I have an issue with my partner who I've been dating for a year. We have a fun, lighthearted relationship. We have shared passions and values and a great, playful sex life. However, I'm missing one important thing, being a slut. I have a job where I'm traveling internationally a lot. So over the years, I've developed a habit of hooking up with women on those trips, mostly through dating apps. These casual hookups make my weeks of being away from home more fun and more exciting. I love the tingle of serendipity and of casually fucking this person I'm never going to see again. Now, when I met my new partner, I was very open with her about not wanting to give up this habit. So we made a deal. I was allowed to do whatever I wanted outside of the country where we live. Of course, the same rules apply to her. And since she doesn't travel as much as I do, she's allowed to hook up with people even in our city, which she has only done like once. This deal worked well for about half a year. But as we grew closer, she eventually told me she was not feeling well with my hookups. She blames me for seeking confirmation from strangers and is convinced sooner or later I will meet someone that I will catch feelings for. Now, I don't want to cheat, and obviously I don't want her to suffer, so I gave up on my passion of being an international man-slut. But now, six months later, I notice I'm feeling constant FOMO when on my work trips. I'll be in a hotel room thinking about all these women I could fuck if I only was allowed to, and I'm starting to blame it on her. I've brought this topic up various times, and it hasn't helped. If anything, it has only made her more jealous. I have a long history of relationships that I ended when my urge to sleep with other women was getting too strong. However, this one means so much more to me. I can totally imagine spending my life with her, but I'm not sure I can if it means I will have to stay monogamous. My question is, do you see any way of convincing my otherwise super compatible partner that my sluttiness is no threat to our relationship? Or is this the admission price and I'll just have to swallow my FOMO? If so, how do I do that? So when you were allowed to fuck around on your work trips, when you were allowed to have anonymous sex, very casual sex with women you met, when you were away, you were content in this relationship and it wasn't a problem for you. Now that you aren't allowed to fuck around when you're on a business trip, it's a problem. Yeah, you should point that out to your partner, your current partner, your girlfriend. The threat to the relationship wasn't you getting to fuck around when you were traveling or her getting to fuck around when she was staying put so things were fair. The threat to the relationship is this, is that you're not allowed to fuck around. You were content in the relationship before. You're not content in the relationship now. So what she claims to fear that you're going to leave her for someone else, one person, I guess, is going to be realized because you want to sleep with everybody else. You want to be able to sleep with anybody that you care to when you're traveling. So the very thing that she's worried about and that she thinks not letting you sleep with other women 
has solved for or protects her from not letting you sleep with other women is actually bringing about. That's the conversation you need to have with her if you want to try to bring her around to your way of seeing things. But ultimately, one or the other of you is going to have to pay the price of admission here. You're either going to have to, if she insists, be in a monogamous relationship with her, or she's going to have to, if you insist, be in an open relationship with you. Somebody here is going to lose. I'm on your side. You've only been seeing this person for a year. You tried this monogamy thing. It's not working for you. You're not happy. You're not content. You're already growing resentful. That resentment is going to only grow and grow over the long term. Eventually, you're going to be in some hotel room. You can look at the apps. You're going to cheat on her in a non-ethically non-monogamous fashion. Get out in front of that. Might help if you point it out to her, this fear that she claims to have, that you'll meet someone else and catch feelings How long have you been doing this? How long have you been traveling for business? How many women have you met on hookup apps or dating apps and slept with in other cities while you were away? And how many of them have you caught feelings for? The answer to the first question, lots of women. You've slept with lots of women that you met on hookup apps or dating apps and you're out of town. Hopefully you haven't been misleading those women into thinking that you were available for or interested in anything other than casual sex. Lots. And how many have you fallen in love with? How many have you caught feelings for? None. None. Zero. The only person seems you've caught feelings for in the last, I don't know, how many years, decade, is her. A non-casual, non-anonymous, or close to anonymous, anonymous adjacent sex partner. So all of those other women out there, that you might meet when you're away on business, not a threat to your relationship. The threat to your relationship right now, the conditions being set by your girlfriend. Point that out to her. Might bring her around, might not. Then you'll have to decide whether monogamy is the price of admission that you're willing to pay to be with her. And if it's not, you should end this relationship. Given everything that you've told me about who you are, you know, not much, given the call, given what I heard, why be with someone who isn't interested in a non-monogamous relationship? You have options beyond this woman. There are women out there who want what you want, who want the kind of relationship, want an open non-monogamous relationship, which is probably the relationship model that would make you happier. You can impose that model on this woman And who knows, in six months, she might agree to it again. And six months later, she'll be stewing in so much resentment of you that she wants to end the relationship. Or you can go find a woman where that's the baseline that you both share, that this is the kind of relationship you both want. You can fuck whoever you want to. She can fuck whoever she wants to, of course, based on the conditions that you set for each other and that you both mutually agree to. You've only been with this woman for a year And it sounds to me like what you've discovered in that first six months and now in the second six months in that year, those 12 months, look at me doing math, is that you're kind of sort of, as much as you might like each other, you're kind of sort of fundamentally sexually incompatible. And that's a good enough reason to end an otherwise lovely relationship.
All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's check in on the comments on last week's show at savage.love. Says Chris Mack, my heart goes out to the caller whose brother was just charged for child pornography. I can 100% relate. The guilt by association, the disbelief that someone you thought you knew so well could do something so terrible. I asked myself many times, how could I not know how messed up this person was? Your advice, Dan, to find a therapist was spot on, but I would add specifically to seek out a certified sex therapist to talk through how this is impacting the caller's life. Says Rose Princess Cat, this is for the caller thinking of making an OnlyFans. There is a reason it's called sex work. It is work. I've been an in-person sex worker for five years, and even with my already existing fan base and hundreds of shoots already in my archive, I'm only making about $800 a month on OnlyFans, and that's before expenses and taxes. Take home, probably half that. And that puts me in the top 12% of creators. This is not to tell the caller not to do it, but just to put a reality check on the ease of doing it. It's not as simple as snap, dick pic, profit. And finally, Andrew says, for the caller who wondered why searching porn sites for boy pussy returns results of cis gay men instead of trans men, doesn't it make more sense, if you want to see trans men in porn, to search for trans men? That would make more sense unless someone is going onto those porn sites looking for something to complain about. And it doesn't seem to me like any trans person in this country or queer person in this country or woman in this country should have to look that hard for things to complain about. There are lots of things to complain about, but you know, lots of big things upset me and that doesn't stop little things that upset me from, well, upsetting me. So that caller is entitled to be upset about cis gay men using the hashtag boy pussy on their porn if that upsets them. But that caller should also feel free to go find what they're looking for or claim that they're looking for by using the search term trans men instead. All right. Thanks to everyone who commented on the show this week at savage.love. Read all your comments. Thank you. Please keep those comments coming. And thanks for posting about the show to your own social media accounts. We really appreciate that. And now something else we always appreciate listener response calls. Hey, Dan, this is in regards to the trans woman who called who was feeling claustrophobic when going down on um, her partners. Well, um, one thought is, is, is this person on hormone therapy? As a cis woman, um, when my hormones are fluctuating, things that would make me normally very happy make me want to throw up some of my favorite foods. If I drink too much wine, I notice it affects me differently. It makes me want to throw up, sometimes sucking dick. So that might be one thing that's going on. Hormones affect everything. And so first I would ask, is it a hormonal issue? Because it will ruin the mood sometimes. Hello, Dan. I'm calling regarding the father who was looking for advice for his uncircumcised son. He himself was circumcised. Well, I'm uncircumcised, and my father, who was also uncircumcised, had taught me when pissing to aim and shake to get rid of that excess piss so that you don't have wet stains on your trousers, and that worked pretty much. Though I have a bit of extra foreskin, creates a bit of a nozzle. So uh, often, sometimes, depending on how I pulled it out and or wherever that nozzle was facing, it would miss the toilet. And around 25 years old, uh, I came out of the bathroom frustrated one time after wetting my shoes. And my uh, flatmate, who was also uncircumcised, said, don't you pull 
your skin back when you piss. And I hadn't thought of that. And I was like, no, I just aim and shake. And you know what? It worked. And I'm now 52 and I have been putting my skin back ever since. And I have not missed the toilet. So hopefully that advice would help that father who is advising his son. This is for the pot daddy in your last episode. As a bisexual guy in Alaska, I want to see him on OnlyFans. I think he should just cover up, cover his face, put on a little mask, maybe a Batman mask. I have no idea. Just don't flaunt who you are, cover up any tattoos, and enjoy. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can always go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or comment. You can also use the voice memo app on your phone and email us your question or comment at q at savage.love or you can call us and leave a message at 206-302-2064. Hump 2023 is right now touring North America. Go to humpfilmfest.com for cities, dates, showtimes, and tickets. And the best of Hump is touring Europe. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash Europe for cities, dates, showtimes, and tickets. I will personally be hosting hump screenings in Berlin this weekend. So if you're in Berlin this Friday and Saturday, April 21st and 22nd, join me at Movie Mento for screenings of some of my favorite hump flicks from the last 17 years. Hump then heads to Amsterdam in May and Munich in June. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash Europe for all the info you need and to get your tickets. Follow me on Instagram and Spoutable at Dan Savage, and I am still on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Zach Zimmerman on Twitter at ZZZZZ. And for all things Zach, check out his website, Zach-Zimmerman.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy will all be back at you next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.